hey, you know what I believe? I believe every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible. I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast and here is where your courageous life starts. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Wow, I tell you what, I'm so excited this week. Actually, I'm excited every single week because so much is going on. I know this is a crappy old time with, you know, that bug and everything else. I'm not even going to give it any airtime, but um, there's so many things being born in this time and so many people starting to really wake up to say, who, who am I? What's important to me? And I find that so damn exciting. And the other thing is too, when you remember I spoke to Janet Hogan last week and we talked about childhoods and, you know, we said that there are, you know, some of us didn't really have a bad childhood and yet we've still got some wounds from our uh, childhood that we need to heal so that we can truly be us now. But this guest I've got today um, is, you know, Janet and I talked about traumatic childhoods and you know we neither of us could really understand that because we've never really experienced it in fact we've come nowhere near experiencing it and you know our empathy was really sort of well we were sort of heartbroken for all these kids who um, experience stuff that is just beyond what, what what a lot of us can even imagine so my guest today is Roy Juarez Jr. and he is uh, wow does he have a story from his childhood and Guys, you're not even going to believe it, but it's just so intense. And yet when I say intense, I don't mean it like it's strong, strong, intense. I don't know how he has the courage. I don't know how, where he finds the strength, but to experience what he did. And you just wait to hear this story. Let me just introduce him. So Roy's a speaker, an author and an activist and travels to inspire youth. At the age of 14, Roy found himself homeless due to domestic violence, moving from house to house to survive. With only a duffel bag to call home, he was at the mercy of the streets and after navigating his way to college, Roy swore to never return to that life again. He's extremely passionate about helping young people and providing them with hope for the future and has dedicated his entire life to creating positive change in communities across the country, which is the US, partnering with organisations such as the US Army, Ford Motor Company Fund and the United States Hispanic Leadership Institute. His work has also been featured on CNN and in the Chicken Soup for the Soul book, Extraordinary Teens. Roy's now in his 30s and, you know, quite frankly, uh, compared to me, still very young, but his... He has lived a life beyond his way beyond his years. Since 2010, Roy's been able to lecture over, listen to this, 450,000 youth, educators and parents through the US and abroad as a motivational speaker and activist fighting for homeless youth, families and higher education. And so when he talks to them, he, re- he vulnerably shares his heart-wrenching personal story of surviving the streets of San Antonio, Texas. In 2005, Roy created and founded Impact Truth, 
Inc., which supports youth through a variety of programs. He's the author of the book Homeless by Choice, which is a memoir of love, hate and forgiveness. And he's also the co-author of a book that he just put out just recently called Four Steps to Not Allowing the Pandemic to Affect Your Home. And he wrote that with a very special person who I imagine we're going to talk about today. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to introduce him. How are you going, Roy? (laughs) Doing well. How are you? Fantastic. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. You know, Roy, you you are one hell of a guy. I... I, (laughs) You know, I, I I mean, I'm sure I'll uh, cry during this interview. You know, there was a, I, I watched your, you know, your documentary and I've, you know, of course, read up about you and, you know, I've, I've um, talk, spoken to you prior to this a few times and, you know, you, you, you make me cry. Like, and it's not, it's not even tears of sadness, it's some sadness, but it's tears of, um, you know, it's sort of, I don't, I don't know, maybe pride or maybe some just this... It, it's overwhelming your story, but what you're doing with it is just so, so, so special. It's just amazing. Well, I truly appreciate that. It, you know, if I were to be able to talk to my younger self, I don't even think my younger self would believe mm. me telling that younger person that life was going to get better. Because when I was in the mist or, or the, the heaviness of my, my life story, I didn't really see a future. Yeah. And so when you even gave my accolades or the work that I've done up until this point, I'm sitting here listening to you speak and I'm just like, I've come a long way. Yeah. I've been, I've been blessed and lucky enough to come so far. Yeah. I, I do a lot of work with Get Off The Bench and one of my things is saying to people, always believe in possibilities beyond your current perceived reality, you know, or your current perceived right. pu- future because it's... it's um. You know, we never know what the future holds and we, we don't actually know um, the amazingness within us, you know, until we till we step foot outside of who we think we are, you know, the, the and I'm right. talking about the one that's not really fulfilled, who we think we are, you know, and, and start to do things and we surprise ourselves um, and we shouldn't surprise ourselves because we're all magnificent. You know, it's just, but as you say, when you're going through that uh, all that trauma, it's very hard to find self-worth and very hard to feel that you're right. you're valuable enough to do that. But I think um, everyone's going to be hanging on like, what's his story? What happened? <laughs> you know, and we've, we've touched on you being um, homeless, but it's sort of, there's a lot more to that and there's a lot more depth to that. The other thing too, before you get into that, it's, I think that um, we use the word homeless, you know, uh, quite... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say shallowly, and I don't mean without compassion, but we kind of use it like, oh, there's, you know, 15 homeless people in my town or there's what, you know, we, we kind of use it as more of a statistic, you know, and it's not often that we get to really um, sit and chat with or, or get in behind the lives of, you know, people who are homeless, right. unless you're a homeless agency and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and I think... I'm t- a lot of times we see homeless as maybe even through our lens of one dimension and we think of the person that might be on the street yeah. and never realize that there are so many different levels of, to homelessness. Yes, true. Oh, well, I hope you touch on some of that because it's, um, sure. I really, um, you know, want to change, change attitudes. And I don't mean that we've got, there are people with bad attitudes. I think that you don't know unless you know. You know, you, you just exactly. don't know what's going on unless you're told. So I like people to be aware of different situations and then sort of develop a new level of compassion for that for that circumstance. So let, let's um, 
hear about it. So I so I touched on a few things in the in the intro, but um, give us a deeper understanding of like how things really played out for you and how you ended up like this. And you know, just give us it all. We love it. You know, when I think about my life and the journey that I've been on, it started out like a very, what I would think, typical childhood. Yeah. You know, my mom and my dad were my first teachers, and I loved them very, very much. And they were the people I wanted to be just like, especially my dad. Like, he was this strong, smart, you know, fast man that I wanted to be just like because mm. my dad could do anything. And as I grew, I started to realize that my dad really just didn't care for me being around. My, my presence seemed to annoy him mm. to the point that I remember one day I asking my mom, mom, why does dad hate me? Because I couldn't figure it out. And I started to, even as a kid, I started to test him to see whether he hated me or not. And so I remember that we would always go to their friend's house and their friends had kids and their friends came over and they had kids. And I would watch my dad play outside with their kids and he would be playing, you know, hide and go seek or, or tag. And the moment that I would run outside and say, I want to play, he would say, okay, you play, I'm tired. And he would walk inside. Aww. And so I would be like, why doesn't dad want to play with me? And my mom, the only, the only answer that she could give me at that age was, she said, Mijo, I think he's jealous of you. And I never understood what that meant. And what she was talking about was jealous of the relationship I had with my mother because I was, I was a mama's boy. I was extremely close to my mom, and I still am. Mm. And I didn't think that parents could actually be jealous of their kids and the relationship they have with their parents, but it's a real thing. It's a real thing. And, and it, was, it was so bizarre to me that this was even happening in my life. Well, where everything took a tipping point was my dad had been promising me this fishing trip that we were going to go on. And it was going to be so awesome because it was only the guys. My cousins were coming. My uncles were coming. This was going to be the trip. And it was going to be my dad and I together. My sisters were going to stay with my mom and my aunts. So I had all the attention of my father. So we get to my aunt's house and we're dropping off my sisters and my mom. They're going to stay there. And I'm, I'm playing with my cousins outside. My dad and my uncles are loading the boat. And as they're loading the boat, he comes up to me and says, hey, Roy, have a seat here. And he had asked me to sit down on the porch. And I said, OK. So I sit there and he said, we're going to go get some ice for the ice chest. And I'm like, well, um, OK. And I couldn't understand why everyone was jumping in the vehicle to go get ice. But yet I was sitting on the porch. And then they attach the boat to the to the to the truck and they drive off. And at seven years old, I know a little bit about life. Mm -hmm. You know, you lie, you get in trouble. You break something, you get in trouble. Yep. But I I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting there and I and I see the truck turn off and, and leave in the distance. And I'm thinking, no, he's coming back. He's coming back because this is the trip. This is the one he promised me. This is the one my dad and I were gonna be together. Just us, we're gonna catch the biggest fish. You know, my dad's awesome. Well, 30 minutes goes by. Mm. And 30 minutes for a seven-year-old is like a lifetime. Yeah. And because I'm seven, I can't put into words what's actually happening to me, but something's happening. Because I could feel it in the gut of my stomach. I could feel the heaviness on my shoulders. And with every minute, whatever this feeling that was in my gut started to make its way up and eventually was manifesting itself as tears. I felt this sadness, but I couldn't put it into words. And then my mom, I guess she noticed me through the window, me sitting on the porch and they're gone. 
And she comes to the door and she's like, Roy, come inside. She knew what he did. Mm. As a kid, I still have this hope yeah. that it is not what it is. So she's like, Roy, come inside. And I don't want to look at her because in my culture and the Hispanic culture, you're not supposed to, boys are not supposed to cry. And I had always been taught this, you know, you're a boy, don't cry. Uh, you want to cry, I'll give you something to cry for. And so I'm crying. So she's like, Roy, come inside. And I'm like, no, mom. And I, I'm, I'm looking away from, she goes, Roy, you hear me, come inside. No, mom. I said, he told me to stay here, mom. I'm going to, I'm going to just sit right here, mom. Can I, can I please, please just stay here? So she forces me inside and I still have this, this hope that my hero's coming back. So I sit on the couch, on the sofa closest to the window so I can stare out that window. So when he does come back, I can pick up my little bag that had everything I needed for this amazing trip. I could run out that door. I can jump in the truck with my uncles, with my dog, because they took my dog, mm. but left me on the porch. Well, two hours goes by. Well, two hours turns into two days later. And two days later, this feeling is still there. I am still, I'm, 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 I am, when I tell you that I am sad, I, even as an adult, I can't put it into words, mm. that sadness. Because they walk in and they're laughing. Mm. They're all laughing about how much fun they had and how they purposely left me there. And how they they were playing with my dog on the beach and throwing the ball. And you know what that does to a seven-year-old when you realize that your dad would rather take your dog yeah. than take you. There is no more self-worth. Yeah. There is no more self-value. There is no more belief that you're going to do anything in life because without you even knowing that is taken from you wow. because it is set into your mind that, that, that this is what your value is. And so um, that day I had learned lessons and I didn't even realize that I had learned these lessons. And what I was learning was I was learning how to be angry. I was learning how to hold a grudge. I was learning how not to trust. And those lessons were gonna play a role in my life for many, many years without even knowing it because I didn't realize I had learned those lessons. Mm -hmm. My God, you took three minutes to make me cry, Roy. Thanks. <laughs> it's and you know, and it's I don't know because my heart hurts because yep. I meet so many kids, mm. so many kids who's I knew that here in my country we had problems. You know, I knew I knew that there were more kids like me, but when I started traveling the nation and I started to meet them and hear their stories. It broke my heart, mm. and that's why I never stopped. Oh wow! And then, and so, did what? Ha did your father become start to become violent after that? Like, why did you end up well, having to move out at fourteen? And my my family, my parents had always had a rocky relationship, so there were always there was always fighting, and my dad was always um, cheating on my mom. He had mm. always had someone different. Um, and one day, my mom just decided. And it, I take that back. It wasn't one day. It led up to one day yeah. to where she had just had enough. And he was asleep in, in their bedroom. And I was sitting in the living room with my siblings. And she just flipped and started saying, get out, get out. I don't want you. I, I, need, I want you to leave. And a fight incurred. They got extremely violent. And he said, I'm not going to leave. 
He said, because if I can't have you, no one will. And at that moment, um, we, we had to call the cops. I actually had to run out of our apartment, run to a neighbor around the corner and use their phone because he ripped the phone out of the wall. So I couldn't call the cops. And I ran to the front, called the cops. The The cops ended up coming back. And it was that was the moment where everything went from bad to worse. Mm. Because it was already bad. Yeah. We were already broken, fractured family. But then it got really bad because we had to go into hiding because no one was going to have my mom. He was going to have – if he couldn't have her, no one was going to have her. <sighs> and so we started moving from home to home to home. And every time he would find us, we would just take a sheet off the bed, put it on the floor. If we had a bed at that moment or depending on what we got to keep from the last time we moved, we would throw whatever we had in the middle of those sheets, pick up the sheets, and then we were gone. Mm. To the point that we had police officers who knew who we were because they kept answering our disturbance calls. And they would show up every single time and and to the point to one day my mom actually started dating one of the police officers. <laughs> and uh, so I, I jokingly say to people, you know, so don't, don't even worry about, you know, match.com, just call 911. It works. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as we, as we traveled, uh, moving from home to home, uh, it got hard. It got hard because we, my mom couldn't keep a stable job. My, my dad was stalking her at her job and eventually she was let go. So mm-hmm. now there's no income. There's no income to support us. So we're living off of food that food pantries would give us, uh, clothing because um, that friends would, would, would give us uh, secondhand clothing because of the fact that when he would find us, he would make sure to destroy as much as he could so that we wouldn't have anything. Oh. There was a point that we actually had a place that we thought we were safe. We thought that, that we could just go home different directions and he'll never find us. And one day we come, well, there's several occasions. One day we come home and he's hiding in the tree because he had found us. So we're looking around and we don't think to look in a tree. Mm. So we pull up, we park, we feel confident enough. We're walking to the door. He jumps out of the tree and we have to fight to let my mom get free because of the fact that he wants her. Mm. There was another time we come home and he had take a bottle. He took a bottle of Clorox and poured it all over my mom's clothes. Uh, So now she had nothing left. Oh. Uh, he had taken all my clothes, so now I had nothing left. So it was it was just so traumatic. And I feel for my mom mm. because she was about to make a decision that I don't think that she was in the mental state that she needed to be to make that decision. Because finally she was at, told, you know, come live with me by her boyfriend. Yeah. And she's like, okay. But the only catch was that he didn't want kids. Oh. And there was five of us. At this point, there was there was three and a half. And I say three and a half because my sister Amy had taken off to go live with her boyfriend by this point. She was in, 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 in uh, I want to say, 11th grade by this. And she just wanted to get away. Mm. My sister Tammy, who's the one right above me, she had got a job and was paying half the bills so that we had a place to live together. And my mom was paying the other half. But my, my dad had found us for the last time. Oh. And we it was just another home that we were gonna have to go to if we found one. You know, if not, we were gonna we're gonna sleep on in in someone's house all together, but who would take us all in? Mm. 
it was it was so so tough so she says yes and so she ends up going with she goes with him and i'm thinking what am i going to do with my little brother and my little sister mm. where are they going to go so my baby sister danielle who's nine my grandmother says roy i can take her but i can't take baby ray or you my little brother who was two years old and me mm. she was not able to take us and i said that's fine grandma just take danielle I'll figure this out. My my best friend's aunt takes my little brother and she says, Roy, I can take baby Ray, but I'm sorry, mijo, I don't have room for you. Mm. And while at that time, I understood what she meant. She had a full house. She had she had her own kids. She had her husband. You know, she had her kids' friends that were always there because they were teenagers. I get it. I get it. But it's it's so interesting that I have been since I've been speaking, I've been talking about the fact of her words, I don't have room for you, mm -hmm. and how I see her mentality all over this country. Yep. I don't have room for you. Because that is broken down in so many different ways. I don't have room for you. Because some people see that as racism. Yeah. Some other people see it as homophobia. Other people see it as classism. I don't have room for you. But there should be room for everyone. Yep. Make room. You know, I ask myself all the time as an adult, as I'm processing this story, you know, how in the world does a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 2-year-old become homeless when you have eight uncles and aunts? Mm. Like, how does that happen? You know, what did they think every holiday when we weren't sitting there? They had to know. But I think that too too often we get so consumed in our own life and our situations and our friends and our issues that sometimes we fail to see those that are closest to us and around us. Yeah. That we fail to check in on each other. Yeah. And we were missed by our own uncles and aunts. Wow. That 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 just breaks my heart. Like it's um you know, we've I lost my sister, um, was now quite a long time you know 17 years ago or something um and mm -hmm. you know she was 33 and she left uh three wow. little kids you know and twin boys seven and a little girl four and you know and her husband wow. had had a, a brain a car accident had a brain injury and at that point you know we didn't know how the kids right. what was going to happen the kids and, and all of us in a heartbeat right. like we we were already arranging you know if they have to come and live with us or well how are we going to make it work and i just can't imagine right. you could ever like you know it's not as it's not as easy just to pick a kid off the streets you know because right. it's a, all the legal complications and everything else but your family do you know i can't understand right. and you know I, to be honest i i don't blame them i i really don't my uncle one time said you know, I, I hear your story that you tell. He goes, and it makes me question, where was I? Mm. Yeah. Where was I? And I thank him for that, for even, even saying that to me. Yeah. And I said, Theo, you, which is my uncle in Spanish, Theo, I said, you know, that was a long time ago. I said, we, and then I tell another, oh my gosh. Um, I told another uncle, my uncle Frank, I said, Theo, can I tell you something? And he goes, what's that, mijo? And mijo in Spanish means like my son. It's a it's a word of endearment. My son, mijo. Yep. He goes, what, mijo? I said, one time 
we were hiding in an apartment complex and we lived right above y'all. And he says, yes, I remember. I said, and um, you and, and Tia Leti um, ordered us pizza. He goes, we did? I said, yes. I said, you ordered us pizza. I said, you have no idea what that meant to us. Mm. To, 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 to be semi-normal or, or, or a kid, I said, that has been etched into my heart, my soul, my memory. That one time that you ordered us pizza, how much that meant to us. And he goes, I didn't know. I said, I know. I said, that's why I'm, <laughs> that's why I'm telling yeah. you, Theo. Like, like that little act of kindness wow. brought so much joy. And so I think even today, like, what little things can we do just to, to let people know that they're noticed? Yeah. And I think that's where it stems from. Yeah. Is kids become so invisible because of traumas in life and, and situations that they just want to be noticed. I have an intern here with me that's, that's uh, he's on his way to college for his senior year. His name is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, when I met him, I met him at one of my youth programs. In the, in the border town here in Texas. And Jesus had got a full ride to Michigan State University. But as we were talking, he says, I'm not going to take the scholarship, sir. And I said, why is that, Jesus? He says, well, sir, he goes, I don't, I don't have money to go to college. Like, I can't even get to Michigan, which is at the very top of our, yeah, of our, yeah. our country. And I said, no, absolutely not. I said, you will come work for me. I said, and you're going to earn money to save for college. And at the end of the summer, I will I will go with you yep. to make sure you get there. And he goes, for real? I said, yes, for real. So <laughs> he came to work for me for the summer. Um, and sure enough, off to Michigan State he went. Um, I wasn't able to, to fly with him because at that point, funds were very low. But let me share with you how the how and what I would say God works or a higher power works. Um, I said, I had told Jose, I said, Jose, I said, um, excuse me, not Jose, Jesus, I have two interns, so Jose and Jesus, <laughs> I, I, like a, like a father, I mix them all up all the time. <laughs> I said, Jesus, I said, um, mijo, financially I can't make it, but I'm still going to send you and you still have money. And he goes, I understand, sir. That's fine. I said, I said, but I said, don't think I don't want to go. If I could go, I would. My phone rings. And I get a, a call from a friend of mine. He says, hey, Roy, you know, I, wanted, I wanted to see if you would come speak to some of my kids. I said, yeah, Elias. I said, who, you know, where are you at? Who? He goes, I have a group of students here for a camp program at Michigan State. I said, wait, where? <laughs> he goes, Michigan State. I said, Elias, you are not going to believe what's happening. He goes, what? I said, I have an intern who I am sending to you. So he hired me. And on the third day of, of Jesus being there, I got to speak to all of the students that, of that program he was in. Wow. So I was still able to be there for him, Yep. which I thought was amazing. So Jesus is, is here in, in Texas with me, Dallas, Texas, because he's driving up for his senior year of college. Wow. And we're having a conversation. And I said, mijo, I said, Who's your who was your favorite teacher? So he tells me her name. I said, why? It's because this teacher saw him yep. with no one else. And I think as kids, that's all we want. We just want someone to see us. Mm. And I think that's what my uncle did when he, how I, well, at least I felt he did when he had ordered us that pizza. He, he just saw us and it made us feel so loved because 
he, we felt that we were seen. Mm, it's such a small act too, isn't it? Really, for right. But but it's uh, the um, how it makes you feel is amazing. My partner writes blogs and just did a blog this week about um, mm-hmm. the kids in the pandemic. You know, the little kids and well, and right. how we how we overlook them because we're all. Or how we might overlook how they're interpreting, you know, the situation right. and how they're building dramas in their heads and we're not noticing mm-hmm. that they're doing it. And it's, um, you know, I think it's, it, 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 we forget to check in on the little kids. Right. Really, well, not just little, you just forget to check in yeah. on the kids. And, and I think it's a bit of a myth, you know, that people say, oh, kids are so resilient, you know, they're fine. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. Kids, right. kids, kids, uh, better at coping than than parents but I don't think they're or than adults but I don't think they're as resilient as we think they are you know I think that their little hearts hurt and we have to they do yeah and and it alters the way that they start to see life yep because even in my situation when I was angry at my dad for when he left me on that porch it changed the way that I saw people yeah and it changed the way I responded to people and how I trusted people yep and parts of me to this day I actually went and I put myself in counseling mm. and I remember being in a group counseling session. It was all men and we sat in a big circle and I remember that right across me was this older gentleman. I was about, I want to say probably late teens, early twenties, probably about 19, 20 is, is my age at this point. And this man across me is an older man, all gray hair, and he is crying and crying and crying. So as an 18, I mean, 19, 20 year old, I'm sitting back and I'm thinking, wow, what's What's up with this man? Like, I know I had a hard life. I wonder what he went through. Mm. So this man speaks and he said, you know, I just can't understand why my father never loved me. Oh. And I was like, wow, because I can relate, but I'm, I'm listening now intently and he's crying. And I, then I think to myself, wow, this man is like 60 years old and he's finally just waking up from that childhood because he's getting help Mm. so that he can live his life. And I said, I don't want to wake up when I'm 60. I want to wake up now. You know, I, I want to, I want to start my life now, not when I'm 60. Mm. I don't think any child needs to spend their adult life undoing their childhood, Mm. but you don't know what you don't know. So I know areas of my life where I'm affected because of my childhood trauma. For example, I hate living on a first story floor because to me, that's too many windows for someone to get in. Yeah. And so I have to barricade my door at night. I got to lock it probably because I tell my story over and over and over and over and it's fresh in my mind. So I need to live on a second, third, fourth uh, story so that I can sleep comfortably. Mm. That affects me now in my 30s. What are the areas in my life that are still being affected that I don't even know about? Because of my childhood. And I think that's why the journey to self-reflection and understanding who you are is so important mm. because it helps you to to choose who you want to be, where you want to go, why you do the things you do so that you can live the life that you truly want to live and not let it be designed by people who hurt you, whether it was intentional or unintentional. Yep. But you get to truly choose to be you. Mm. It's um not a lot of people really get that though, do they? You know, I think that we right. um 
we we go through life in a sort of an asleep state you know and it's not until right. something you know you know triggers us to come out of that or we have a, a big adverse situation in our adulthood that we start to question mm-hmm. i think we just you know um become zombies you know and just sort of go right. through go through life but i think it's buddy um you know i think about ad- yeah your job as an adult or your job as a parent at least you know is it's it's right. not to be i see a lot of people saying oh my daughter's my best friend and stuff like that and i i don't think that's your job to be their best right. i think it's your job to raise children who will be functional adults do you know who you know to give them a childhood where they where they can become adults and and fully be themselves or, or to the best of their ability do you know it's um, right Without the trauma. And, to, and to give them good memories yeah. to remember during those tough yes. times. Baby Ray, I there was one point in our journey where I had a family who said, Baby Ray can come and spend the night. Because I was always trying to get Baby Ray or Danielle. Because yep. I want, I felt that we were going to run out of time and we were going to lose our entire childhood. Yeah. And we could never get that back. Yeah. And I, that, that, that terrified me. So every time I had a chance, I would be like, can, can my baby brother or my baby sister come stay with me for a night? And one family was like, yeah, baby Ray can come for one night. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, that's fine. One night's fine. So when they let him come over, I mean, I'm not wasting any mo- any time with my baby brother. So we're running around outside. I'm cooking him whatever he wants that they have in their house. You know, we're watching TV and he can control the remote control. Like like this, I just want to be with him. Yep. And I remember putting him to bed that night and feeling horrible because I knew that the next morning when I woke up, he was going to be gone. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And I don't know when I'm going to see this kid again. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that in the middle of the night, I woke him up because I wanted to make sure that if I never saw him again, because living as a homeless kid, mm-hmm. um, it's not easy. Yep. And there are not, not always good people who take you in. Yep. There are people who take you in because they know that you're vulnerable and they know that that, that, that you have nowhere to go and no one to run to yeah. and they know they can manipulate you and they can do what they want with you. Yeah. And that's the reality of the situation. So I said, if I never see him again because I'm no longer here, I at least want him to have a memory of me yeah. where he can say, I remember when yeah. my big brother did this. Mm-hmm. So that night I wake him up and I said, baby Ray, baby Ray, do, do you want to eat ice cream? <laughs> and baby Ray says, yeah. So we snuck into their kitchen and I sat him at the table and I served him this big bowl of ice cream. And baby Ray could barely see over the table and he's eating his ice cream. <laughs> and, and I sat across from him and I took that time just to tell him, baby Ray, I love you. Mm. You need to know that I love you. And that, that I never wanted to leave you. Mm. And then one day I'll come back. One day I'll come back. I'll get you. And you're going to go to middle school. You're going to go to high school. You're going to go to college. And and you know what, baby Ray? All your dreams are going to come true. And he was so young that he didn't understand what I was saying. Yeah. He just ate his ice cream. And I put him back to bed. And sure enough. The next morning I woke up, I rode over, and he was gone. Mm. He was gone. So we can even give kids good memories to hold on to during the tough times to know that at one time they were loved and what it feels like to be loved. Yeah. Yeah. 
That that uh, story is uh, every time I watched your documentary and you got oh look I'm crying now you got to that bit <laughs> and I was like oh my god you know and and yeah. I could see it in you you know that 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 when you're t- retelling that yeah. story I can hear it in you now the um yeah. you know the the because I could see him oh. I could see him at the table that's why oh but the the, the depth of that and the heartache of that you know and it's um but the good side to that is that you did both survive i mean this you know this just i hate this it hurts me so much watching you and hearing you say that but you did both survive and you did he has gone through college and i saw (laughs) pictures of him you know that he's he's um he's he's, such a good young man he's he's how old is he now Oh my gosh, baby Ray's twenty four. Oh, and he's a gorgeous he, young man. He is he he is such a good heart that kid. Yeah, and and I see I see the the effects of his childhood trauma, but he has all of us now. Yeah, all my siblings and I are extremely extremely close. And I think it's because we know what it feels like to be torn apart. Yeah, that now that we have each other, we're not gonna let go. Yeah. So he has a support system of people who love him beyond any kid has ever been loved. Like we are team baby Ray, 10,000%. Yeah, so, yeah. um, we try to be there for him any way we can. And as of course, he's a growing adult and he wants his space and have his friends and his girlfriend. And, <laughs> and but we're always there to, to support him and encourage him to keep moving forward and to chase those dreams. Oh well, it's just it's just beautiful, and it's actually you. One other thing that's in that documentary is your your grandmother, you know, and as yes. you said, she couldn't take you, you know. But she she says in that film, you know, you went and stayed with a a pastor, you know, or, and, yes. and she says that how she sort of starts off strong, saying that you know they 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 were better for you, you know, they, they could give you what right. I couldn't. And she says it with that sort of tough, you know, Spanish kind of, you know, I'm strong. Right. And then she breaks and says, I'm oh, so that. sad, you know, and wow. But but another thing she says is that you have all turned out such beautiful kids, you know, such beautiful adults, you know, right. that, and you, you can see the so much pride from her saying that how how lucky and how thankful and how grateful we adore that woman yeah and, and i, I think bet. that the, the concept that that my siblings and i have adopted is that we're all human yeah we all make mistakes and no one's perfect and we we do the best we can with what we have yeah and at that time my grandma had her own issues and going through her own things that she couldn't take us in yeah and as an adult we get it the 14-year-old little boy couldn't understand it. You know, the the two-year-old boy couldn't understand it. The two-year-old boy didn't understand anything, actually, of what happened to him. He he just knows everyone left him. That's all he knows, which is hard. Yeah. But as adults, our grandmother is everything to us. We're always fighting over her. Like, no, who's your favorite <laughs> grandkid, Grandma? You, you have to admit it and tell everyone it's me, you know. But... We love that woman, yeah. and it, it's so painful to watch her in the documentary cry the way she does, because here's here's the honest truth. Between, well, I would say between you and me, but this is going, else, uh, many yeah. places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the honest truth: I feel bad sometimes for the work I do. 
when it comes towards my family. And, and I'll explain. I, I feel as humans, we're the one species that I know of that makes someone pay over and over and over yeah. and over for their mistake. Yeah. You know, and I feel that every time I tell my story and my family hears it or they hear it on a podcast or they watch an interview on TV, I feel so bad. I feel like I'm um, re-traumatizing each of them and I'm never allowing any of them to heal mm. or to to move forward. And it, it, it that internally tears me to pieces. On the other hand, I see the hundreds of thousands of kids that I've been able to work with. Yeah. The, the mothers who are now better mothers for their children because of the story. I had a kid in Minnesota who wrote me on Facebook and he had sent me a private message and he said, sir, I just want to say thank you. And I wrote him back right away and I said, you're welcome. And I closed the chat, right? He wrote me back, the chat popped back up and he goes, you don't even know why I'm thanking you. <laughs> and I said, I said, mijo, I am so sorry, you're right. Why are you thanking me? And then he said, I'm thanking you because you came to speak at my school. I'm a student in Minnesota. When you were done speaking at my school, you went to go speak at my mom's school. Mm -hmm. She's a teacher here in Minnesota. When you were done speaking at her school, he said, sir, she came and found me. He says, I hadn't seen my mom since I was two years old. He goes, oh. I'm 18. He said, and I'm starting a relationship with my mom because of you. Wow. That's why I'm thanking you. Wow. And that just, I had tears coming down my eyes because if I don't tell this story, yep. those stories don't happen, but it does. It tears me to pieces every time I see my mom cry, I see my sisters cry, I, 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 I see my, 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 my grandma cry. Like, it's like, I feel like, I hope in the end I can say it was worth it, mm. but I'm scared I'll, I might not say that. And that's being real. Mm. I think it is worth oh, it. I, I I hear what you're saying. It's it's um and 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 I hear that you're saying you know everybody's human and that's so true and you know it's it's we don't know what people are going through at the time but it right. it's it I think you'll find that it'll be healing for them. You know that that, that they perhaps right. by listening to your story and by um saying that you forgive them and you understand that you know they had other things right. going on and as an adult you understand but as a child you didn't. I think that also gives them the opportunity to forgive themselves. You know, yes, it's true. You know, Very I would true. never do that now, but um, then, you know, I I knew what I knew, and I, you know, wish I knew better, but you can't. You, but right. it, it's, I think it's how you move forward. Once, once you and know I, I something. I know they're so proud. I yeah. know they're very proud of, of me and the work I do. My mom has been able to travel with me uh, to many of my presentations, and uh, sometimes even in in jails, uh, she's gone with me. Uh, even juvenile facilities, she's gone with me. And there was one in particular, we were in a juvenile facility and it was for all girls. And after that presentation, those girls just hugged on my mom oh. because the forgiveness her and I have, yep. that's the forgiveness they want with their parents. Yep. And so I, I think my, my biological mom um, understands why I do what I do. Yep. But it hurts to see her hurt. And I said my biological mom because, yes, I have many moms now. Mm. I have many moms who have taken me in, who have loved me. Because I believe that it does take a village. Yeah, It, yeah. it takes all of us 
to to raise children. Even if, if we don't even have our own, it takes all of us to raise children. It does. It really does. And did you um tell us about um the the pastor the, the, I'm not sure if the woman was the pastor or the man was the pastor. I can't, you know, but they, that, the was, two lovely couple, the, the lovely couple. Yes, my, my adoptive parents. Yeah. I, I absolutely adore my adoptive parents. Um, so let me, let me tell a quick story before we, yeah. we, so I can, I can explain how I, how we got in contact. I was living with the family and I was here in Dallas, Texas, where I currently am physically, uh, and I went into, I snuck into this hotel to, to steal a meal, to eat. And when I, as I'm sitting there in this hotel, this Omni hotel, this lady comes out on stage because she's going to speak. And I, I really didn't care. I was there. I wanted them to serve me so I could eat and I can leave. <laughs> so I'm sitting there. And as they're serving me, this lady starts to speak. And she starts talking about her life and everything she had been through and and all the things that she had overcome. And I'm, I'm now so tied into her story that I'm not even concerned about the plate that's in front of me because I'm so connected to her story. Mm. And I'm like, wow, if this woman who grew to be the highest ranking Latina woman in the combat support field of the United States Army and broke all kinds of records, if she can do it, then I can do it. Then there's hope. So after that presentation, I made my way back to San Antonio. I went straight to Ms. Carmen's house, uh, the lady who had my baby brother. And I, I got him. And I had this idea that I would approach these ministers of this church and I would try to live inside their church. And as collateral, I would clean it for them and I would have it ready for all their services. I just needed a place to live with my baby brother because I would put him on a bus. He will go to school. He will go to middle school. He will go to high school. I will work as many jobs as I had as long as he had his dreams. So I had enough hope for him. And not enough for me yet. So I walk into this church. Well, actually, I I, ran, I meet her outside her door, outside the church, because she's I'm there and she pulls up. And she's like, Roy, what are you doing here? And I knew her because I had been to church there as a, as a little boy. Yeah. I said, can I talk to you? And I said, look, my baby brother and I, we don't have a place to live. But I was thinking if you let, let us live in this church, I will clean it for you. I will have it ready for all your services. And she says, Roy, you're not you're not going to live here in this church. And she said, you'll live with me. And I'm thinking, well, that sounds great, but there's always a catch because everyone had a catch. Everyone I lived with. And you didn't even talk to your husband, so you can't even say yes. (laughs) But that was before I learned that women actually ran the house. And so it was a yes. (laughs) So uh, she says, you'll live with me under one condition. And I knew it. There was a condition. It was coming. She said, you have to go back to school because I had dropped out. Yeah. So her only condition was I go back to high school and they would take care of everything else. So sure enough, that day she took baby Ray and I home with her and we walked in and her and her husband was there and she's like, they're going to live with us. And he was like, "Okay." (laughs) (laughs) So I I enrolled. As a third-year freshman, um, then I became a sophomore, became a senior, and it was three months before what was to become the greatest night of my life at that moment, high school graduation, a day that I never thought was going to happen for me. It, it doesn't happen for kids like me. Yeah. And the irony is 
I ended up attending high school, the same high school out of all the schools in San Antonio, Texas. I ended up attending the same high school as my mother's boyfriend's son. And we were both seniors graduating wow. the same night. So I called her up and I was like, mom, you know, I'm going to graduate. And she says, I know I'm so proud of you after everything we've been through. I said, well, I just want to let you know that when I graduate, you're my mom. And she said, what did you say? I said, you're my mom. You're not his, you're mine. Aww. And she got really upset and she hung up the phone. Aww. So three months goes by. My adopted parents, they're getting me ready for graduation. I, they're getting me the suit. I have the suit. I have the tie. I have the shoes. They're shine. I go to graduation. My favorite teacher, Miss Barretta, calls my name. I cross that stage, get my diploma. I go outside the auditorium, and there's so many people outside this auditorium. And while I find the people who were there for me, and this is my, my adopted parents, the, the people from the church, the truth is, deep down, that kid just wanted his brothers and sisters, yeah. and he wanted his mom. Yeah. That's it. I, I just want my mom, and I want my sisters. And uh, my sister Tammy was the, was the one that came. Um, and, and she was with me for a second. I saw my mom. I ran to my mom, and I was like, Mom, Mom. They, they made us reservations at Mitiera, which is a restaurant in downtown San Antonio. I said, come on, let's go. They, 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 they're going to, they, we don't even have to pay. Like, like, this is like awesome, mom. But when I walked away, she stayed standing there because they already had made reservations somewhere else oh. for his son. Oh. And I think that in her brokenness, she was torn. Yeah. And she says, but I rode with him. And I was like, what are you saying, mom? And she says, what do you want me to do? Now, by this time, I didn't know about true forgiveness. I didn't know about adults being broken. I didn't know about people being human. Yeah. All I knew was that my mom wasn't going to come with me. So the anger was there. And I said, say it. Because that's all I want from you now then. Just say it. And she said, I rode with him. I'm going to go with him. Oh. And I was like, whatever. I turned around, I walked back. When I got back in the crowd, I lost my sister, Tammy. And so I remember walking through that crowd yelling, Tammy, oh. Tammy, because I just, she, we, didn't, we didn't have cell phones then. And even if we did, we were, we were homeless, we were poor. Yeah. We were, and I'm screaming her name, trying to get over the crowd. So that she would hear me so she could know where we were going to go eat. So I can at least have Tammy to sit next to me. But no, no, she didn't hear me. Oh. So I sat there, though, at my graduation dinner, surrounded by all these people who loved me. They believed in me. I put on my fake smile, but inside, mm. I was so sad. I was so sad. Oh. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. But you know what? I will say this. Again, parents are human. I went on to college. Um, and when I graduated college, it was my mother's second chance to make it right. And I remember that um, my mentor, who, when I... Um, I started off at a community college. And when I was in community college, I was struggling. I, I wasn't the best student. Um, 
but I was very active and I knew I had a lot of uh, people skills because that I needed those people skills when I lived on the street. You know, I needed to be able to talk to people so that I can get food or get a place to sleep. So I had those skills. And so I was very social when it came to, to being on campus and work uh, as a work study. The, the dean came up to me one day and says, Roy, we have a guest speaker coming. Will you introduce her? I said, sure, I'll do it. You know, can I get extra credit for this? <laughs> and she's like, Roy, I'm like, nah, for real, Dean, like you see my grades, right? Like help me out a little. <laughs> she's like, Roy. I was like, okay, fine, fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. I said, who is it? And she says, well, her name is retired Lieutenant Colonel Gonzalo Castillo Kickbush, the same woman who had seven years earlier was speaking at that hotel wow. I snuck into. Yep. And I said, I would love to introduce her. Nobody knew my story because at that point I wasn't telling anyone my story because I was always taught what happens at home stays at home. You don't talk about it. And it wasn't a lesson that was taught to me directly. Like you don't talk about what's happening. Mm. It was always taught in different language. Like for example, what would the family think? And it's like, who cares what the family would think? Maybe if they knew, maybe they could help. Like, that's why my uncles weren't there. Like, I don't know. Maybe we should be talking about some issues. And so I said, I would love to introduce her. So that day in front of my friends, my peers, you know, my professors, I broke tradition. And I said, you don't know me, but we met before. Seven years ago, I was a homeless teenager and I snuck into a hotel to steal a meal and I heard you speak. And with just your words, you gave me a second chance in life. And look at me. I'm in college now. Mm. Imagine that. With just her words, this woman gave me enough hope to hold on. And so I asked, what can, what can we do that, that even with just our words, we can inspire everyone that's surrounding us? Yeah. Everyone. Now, imagine when we put action behind those words. We can, we can change tomorrow. Yeah. But it has to start with us and, and what we're saying and what we're doing. So I um, interned for, for, for Ms. Kickbush. She becomes my mentor. Oh, wow. And I start traveling with her throughout the country because she's a motivational speaker because that's how I heard her. Yep. So when I was done with my internship, or I didn't realize I was done, she decided I was done. She says, Roy, you uh, need to go. And I said, are you going to fire me? She goes, Roy, you can't work for me all your life. She goes, you need to go to college and you need to finish. She goes, where do you want to go to school? I said, well, I don't know. I said, where did you go to school? And she said, I went to Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas. I said, well, ma'am, I said, that's where I want to go because I wanted to be just like her. Mm. I applied at Hardin-Simmons University. I got accepted. And in May of 2009, I went from eating ketchup packages in the streets of San Antonio as a homeless teenager to becoming a college graduate. Oh, wow. And it changed, it changed everything. But what breaks my heart is that even my country, at that time, there was an estimated, estimated 1.6 million homeless teenagers. Wow. 1.6 million. As of last year, before COVID, it was 2.1 oh, million. Gee. How did we go in the wrong direction? Mm. Yeah. And I, I can only imagine that those kids not all of them are going to have the outcome I had. Mm. They're not going to have the Miss Kickbushes. They're not going to have the Pastor Dorises and the Pastor Johnnies who are going to take you in and tell you that your mom is your mom loves you. She's just broken. She doesn't know how to love you, but you can love her the way that you want her to love you. Mm. Those lessons that were going to eventually heal my heart yeah. and and 
allow that love that I, I had for my family to still be there. You know, my mom one day, my adopted mom, one day she, she used to have this beautiful, big, big, blonde, curly hair. And I, it was it kind of reminded me of like the Dallas cowgirl cheerleader hair. I'm not <laughs> sure if you've ever seen that, but it was huge back in the 80s. And so one day she comes in and she had cut all her hair off. It was so short. And I said, oh, my God, what did you do? You cut your hair. It was so beautiful. And my mom said, my adopted mom said, why didn't you ever tell me? I said, I said, what? She says, why didn't you ever tell me how beautiful you thought my hair was? She said, why did you wait till it was gone mm -hmm. before you told me that? I said, I don't know. She says, Roy, never wait till some, something or someone is gone before you tell them how you feel. Yep. And it was a life lesson that I'm so glad I learned. And so now I'm constantly loving everyone. You know I love you, right? Hey, you know I love you, right? Like... <laughs> oh, that's gorgeous. <laughs> because we can't wait. We can't wait till someone or something's gone because then it's too late. Yeah, well, so you've gone through all this. Like, this is just one hell of a story. You, you've broken my heart. I can't tell you how many times, you know. It's bad enough reading all your stuff and watching your stuff. Oh my God, now this is worse. But, you know, you it, there's, a, there's a good part to it. Yes, and you say that it's it's sad, you know, that you open up your, your right. family's wounds every time you, you talk about it. But, um, you know, the, the speaking tours that you're doing, I mean, you, you sh you, you're changing lives dramatically. T tell us about those um, speaking tours and you know, how they work and what, what you get out of them and what kids get out of them? The first one I did, I had just graduated um, Hardin Simmons University. I've just graduated college and I was going to go work for, I went to go work for my mentor, the retired Lieutenant Colonel in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is not bad to, to a place to live right after you graduate college. <laughs> so I was like, oh, you know, going from living on the streets as this homeless kid to now I'm a college graduate, my first real job, I'm going to be living in Vegas. This is awesome. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready. Well, three months into working for her, she calls me in her office and she said, Roy, I just want to let you know that I'm going to let you go. I said, excuse me? She goes, you have three months left with my company and you're fired. I said, why? Like, what did I do wrong? Like, can, can, I, can I fix this? Are you not happy with my work? She says, you don't get it, do you? She goes, you're not meant to work for me. She said, you have three months to figure out what you feel you're meant to do, save money, and go do it. And I was upset because I, I thought graduating college was going to be this fix-all, and I was never going to have to struggle again in my life. Yeah. And that was the biggest fallacy I had ever told myself <laughs> because college is not a fix-all. Yeah. And so – um, I decided that I'm not going to buy any furniture. I had just found this roommate, and I convinced him to, to let me move in. And, and um, I go home that day, and I'm like, hey, Nick. I said, bro, I said, uh, listen, I just, I just got fired. And he goes, wow, that sucks. I said, yeah, but she gave me a three-month notice, so I have some time. I said, um, I don't think I'm going to even stay in Vegas. I said, can I – I'm not even going to buy furniture. That's how new of a roommate I was. I said, can I just – can I rent your couch? And he's like, yeah, man, that, that's cool. You can rent my couch. He goes, but like, if I have guests over, like, don't, I go, no, no, if you have guests, like, I'll go sleep on the floor in my room. But he goes, yeah, that's fine. So uh, here I am struggling in my mind. I just left the streets as a, and that's what I'm talking about when there's different levels of homelessness. You have mm -hmm. a street kid, you have what's called a couch surfer, you yeah. have families that are doubled up, you have families that are living in hotels. So every single one of them is classified as homeless. Mm -hmm. And so 
I was more of a couch surfer. I was a street kid slash couch surf, excuse me, street kid slash couch surfer, more couch surfer than street kid. Yeah. And so I go from couch surfing to graduating college back to sleeping on a couch. So the mental and emotional toll that this is taking on me is not good. And so I'm laying in bed one night. Now, this is my truth to each their own. I'm laying in bed one night and I'm saying my, my bedtime prayers. And I'm like, man, God, what do you want? What do you want from me? Like, I thought that this is what I was supposed to be doing. Like, I thought I was, I don't, what do you want from me? And I remember falling asleep. And this, this may sound crazy, but it's true. I fall asleep and I have this dream. And in this dream, I see myself walking into this large arena surrounded by young people, about 50,000 in number. Wow. And they're, they're cheering and they're clapping. I'm not in the, the arena yet because I'm outside with the crowd. They were make, trying to make our way in. But you can hear the music from the, from the arena. And there's this band that's singing the same thing over and over and over. And they're singing, come on in. Come on in together. We can make a difference. Come on in. And so I walk into this arena filled with, with, with all these young kids. And it, the energy in that room, it felt like we were at an international conference where we were learning to fight social injustices throughout the world. Wow. And we would go to this conference and we would be equipped with the, the tools that we needed to go back into our communities and to our country to create change, to inspire change. And so I wake up because Nick, he worked on the Las Vegas trip. And as a bartender, so he would work to like five o'clock in the morning. And when he came home, I woke up because I was asleep on the couch. And I'm like, Nick, I know what I have to do. And he's like, Roy, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, dude, I got to do a tour. I, I have no idea. The idea of a tour came out and I started packing my bag. And he goes, like, now? He goes, you're going to go now? I said, no, <laughs> like, 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 I got to, I got to go to Denny's. Like, I got to work. So I went to a local a restaurant, a Denny's uh, a cafe. Yep. And I sat there, you know, like 5.30 in the morning, and I start to design what would eventually become the Homeless by Choice Tour. And my idea was I would live homeless again, and I would live out of my car, and I was going to drive from L.A., Los Angeles, California, to Jacksonville, Florida, clear, clear across the country. Yep. And I was going to just speak to as many kids as possible. I would do it for six months, and I was going to do it in honor of every person who had ever fed me, housed me, clothed me, and just – Try to reach as many kids and say, don't give up. Life will get better, but you have to be here to see it. And education is one of the ways to help you, mm. but don't give up. And so a month later, uh, because I, I already had was trying to figure out what I was going to do, but a month later, at the end of my three months now, um, I launched the tour. Wow. And I, I had no grants, no sponsors. Everyone I tried to get on board said no to me. And I'm like, that's fine. I've been homeless before. I can do this. I'll sleep in my car and I'll couch surf the entire way. And halfway through my tour from, from Los Angeles, midway to, uh, I was in Texas by this point. I just, um, Odessa, Texas is where I was at. I had ran out of money. I had ran out of everything. I had, I had nothing left. So I was at the mercy of the schools that I would speak at. And so what would happen was I would go into a school and I would say, you know, telling them what I was doing. And I said, and oh, by the way, um, if you have a couch, a teacher, oh. <laughs> um, I, I need a place to sleep tonight. And they would take me in. Wow. So I make it to Odessa, Texas. I'm done. I have nothing left. And emotionally, I'm telling the story over and over and over and over. Mm. So emotionally, I'm done as well. 
I have a teacher come up to me and she's crying. And she says, sir, she said, I'm the director actually of a juvenile facility. Will you come speak to my young men? I said, ma'am, I said, to be honest, I've never been in a facility before because I was never caught. I said, but we won't go there. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I would be more than happy to go. So her and I take off to this facility the next morning. We go through the intake process. All these young men in, in fatigues and their drill sergeants, they're all coming in and I'm trying to interact with them more so because I'm nervous and I'm trying to get a feel for the room. And I started interacting and I meet this one young man and he's funny, he's kind, he's asking me just as many questions as I'm asking him. Like he's, he's super cool. And so afterwards, after the presentation, they're walking out and the same lady walks up to me and she's crying again. And she says, Roy, she goes, you know that young man? I go, the one I was talking to, she goes, yeah. I said, if you don't mind me asking, like, why is he even in here? She goes, Roy, he's in here for murder. She said, freshman year of high school, his father picked him up and says, today, you're going to kill a man. Because his father was involved in all the drug trafficking, all the gang violence in their city. That the son took the gun, killed the man he was told to kill because he was a minor and the dad is thinking... It'll be a slap on the wrist for the kid. But instead, here in the state of Texas, they tried him as an adult. Aww. And she's saying, Roy, we have but but two months before we have to move him to an adult facility. She goes, but we don't give him longer than two weeks to live before that rival gang kills him. She says, mm. Roy, he's dead. She goes, he's 16 and he's dead. Aww. And that got me. Because I thought, why didn't anybody catch him? Why didn't anyone teach him that he had a future that belonged to him, not to his dad? Mm. That maybe, just maybe, if someone would have taught him that, maybe he would have been strong enough to say, I'm not going to kill anyone. Yeah. But that wasn't the case with this young man. Wow. And I decided that day that, you know what? I'm not going to just cross this country. Instead, I'm going to circle the entire country. And I'm going to give myself a goal of 100,000 kids to reach. Yeah. And I ended up living out of my car for two and a half years, circled the entire nation and spoke 517 times on that pro bono tour and spoke to over 100,000 kids. And it changed the entire course of my life because my phone never stopped ringing. And I have Mm. been crisscrossing this country, my country ever since. Wow. 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 And... All I can say is wow, because there is so much wow in there. It's it just goes to show, doesn't it, that if you follow your passion, and even if you're not getting paid, you know, like it, it eventually it eventually leads to your life mission. It's um wow, and, and it, so it goes back to your theme of of just getting off the bench. It's yeah. it's just getting out there and doing something. You have a passion. You want to see something that's changed. Well, you have to just do it. Yeah, and it'll it'll work itself out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you ended up writing your book, Homeless by Choice. Yes, I, I, I sure did. I, uh, it was funny because I, again, I was, I was asleep one night and I woke up and I thought, I got to get my book out because I'm always trying to figure out how can I reach more young people? How can I reach more? This, I'm, not, I'm not doing enough. Like, it's not enough for me to go from school to school to school because there's only so many schools I can reach in my lifetime. Yep. There's got to be something bigger and more that, where I can reach even more. And yep. so I, I call my, at the time, she was a, an intern and, and very brilliant young lady by the name of, of, we call her Reggie, but her name is Elizabeth. And so 
I called Reggie. I said, Reggie, I need your help with the project. She says, okay, what? I said, we're writing a book. I said, I'm going to just start to write, and I just need you to start editing. I'm going to just spit it out. And she's like, okay. So we started, and I'm just writing and sending it, writing, and, and she's editing, 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 editing. And then we, after we edited the first whole book, uh, it was like 86,000 words. Then we hired a professional editor, and then he. we thought that he was going to just go make it sound pretty, and that was going to be it. Yeah. But no, this editor was like, I don't understand the, the essence of the room. I can't feel it. And I'm like, oh, oh he's no. like, here's, here's, here's some websites on how to describe a room. And I'm like, what? So and Reggie and I are there reading and researching on how to describe a room and fixing, <laughs> fixing the 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 manus manuscript until we we got it all done and at this point Reggie was was pregnant with with her baby and um, we're working so hard to where we knew that the baby was gonna come before the book so I'm working on it and and we're we're by this time we have the book already written and I said Reggie I said when are you having baby Nova because we now know that it was gonna be a girl. She goes, well, she goes, I'm supposed to be induced next week. She goes, but if you'd like, I'll ask the doctor to push it back a week. I said, Reggie, no, <laughs> have your baby, Reggie. Like, no, this, that, that's not, I just need a, she goes, okay, 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 well, I said, no, have the baby. Like, no, this, this is, this is second to your child. And so we're working and we had just sent off our work to get formatted and and the formatter was sending it back and i'm reviewing it and so i'm texting reggie and like reggie can you work with the formatter and have them start all the chapters on the right side of the page and blah 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 blah. she goes yes i'll get on that right away she goes oh fyi i'm in labor i'm like <laughs> reggie put put your phone away like i said oh my god reggie have your baby put your phone away but before you do that sell a copy to the doctor <laughs> 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 but the book the book was just a way for us to try to get it into the hands of more of yeah. more kids you know we i would go to the schools and kids and kids that you wouldn't expect to be your readers uh yeah. that people wouldn't expect because of the connection to the story that i was telling mm. they were the ones asking do you have a book yeah do you have a book because they wanted to hear more they wanted to know more of the story than that than that 45 minutes that I had with them on stage because on stage I the 45 minutes to an hour I'm just telling the the tops of the of the waves the, yeah. the tips of the yeah. waves on on that I'm just you're not getting all that happened beneath it and so that book was so important to get out so that we can reach more kids at a different level. Yeah. And then from there grew the documentary that you saw, yeah. because it's like, we got to tell it from a different angle as well, because my mom has a story. My grandmother has a story. Yeah. My sisters, everyone can't connect to Roy, yeah. but someone's going to connect to Tammy. Yeah. Someone's going to connect to Danielle. Someone's, the mother's going to connect to my mom. Yeah. And all of the, all of this work is just trying to help bridge and heal families bring them back together to say look it's not too late you mm -hmm. can start this journey of forgiveness you can you know bring your family back together and have that family yeah. but change has to start somewhere wow well it's certainly um it's it's an amazing book when you talk about the descriptive bits you, you certainly nailed it <laughs> I was, I, as 
I was reading, I was thinking, gee, I can't describe things like that. <laughs> so, so, so the man who wanted the room, you know, he's, he's done a right. good job. He's <laughs> done a very good job. I was thinking, you know, the sunset, you know, sneaking yes. down over Nevada or something. And I was like, I, w- I would have just said the sun went down, you know. But <laughs> you, you yes, I know exactly job. what you're talking about. And, it, and the light that... The, the, hit the on my mother's cheek or something like that i can't remember yeah, now yeah, exactly yeah, how i right. worded it <laughs> yes yeah my mom's olive skin and yeah as, although you know she was she was uh small in stature she stood there as a warrior yes yes yes, yes that's it <laughs> and I, I was reading and thinking oh my god i'm so i'm like a do- i speak like a documentary right we do this 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 this, this. next you know <laughs> as i'm reading i thought oh my god i could never write a novel or anything it oh put me to, put me to shame but no it's it's so descriptive though you can actually you can actually taste the scene so you've done such a good job but then Thank you've you. just that now you've just gone and written another book with yes. uh, with with your amazing um you know the the woman who my mentor com- yes completely inspired you in the first place so you can say a name I'm going to say Miss Kickbush but you can say a Perfect. proper proper a retired um, Lieutenant Colonel Consuelo Castillo Kickbush uh, <laughs> yeah. when 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 the pandemic hit our since we work with kids they're our first concern yeah. so immediately. We thought about the kids who had nowhere to go. Yeah. We thought about the kids who are not in a healthy environment at home. So schools, their their escape. And we thought about the kids who are being abused. And so they were just running through our mind. And we said, well, we have to do something. We have to write something. And it has to be a quick read to empower people to push through cabin fever, to push through depression. Because Mm. if we're having it as adults, you know, and we're educated. What about our kids? What yeah. about our, our young ones? What about our young parents who aren't there yet? So we quickly wrote um, four steps to not allowing the pandemic to affect your home. And it was just written as a, as a tool and a quick read to get you through what we're going through. And it's like step one, stay human. Mm. And talking about that, about the importance of being human and going from our stories, seeing each other, being there for each other. Step two, it's going to be okay. Know that this is going to pass and we're going to make it that you can't check out early. You have to be here. Mm. You have to keep pushing forward. You know, minimize stress and maximize joy. How do we do that? And then educate and empower Mm. moving forward. And so that was the the next book that I I, I put out with my mentors. I co-authored as a way to help. Yeah. It's only just come out, hasn't it? Just recently. It it, it recently... came out i want to say it came out in april yeah in 2020 april 2020 wow 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 god what a story it's um you know you've got me on the edge of my seat like i'm competing with cockatoos you know they're squawking as they go past but you better it's like oh my god you know what's the next thing and it's a you've 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 had me on a an emotional roller coaster you know so much laughter but so much um sadness at the same time it's just um wow Wow, you know, and, and isn't that how life is? It, 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 it is. It, it is a roller coaster. Yeah, and just strap in and <laughs> hang enjoy on the ride. <laughs> <laughs> I say, you say enjoy the ride. I say, hang on, bloody time. <laughs> I'm, I'm not into roller coasters. <laughs> scare the scare the bejesus. I, I will share this though because this is very important. <laughs> yeah. When I wrote um, "Homeless by Choice," I um, was deciding on the dedication page who I wanted to dedicate it to. And yeah. I wanted 
I want them, I never want any of my siblings to feel that one is more important than the other. I want them to know I love them just as much. The same way with my mom and my stepdad when it comes to my other parents. Yeah. I want them to feel the love. And then I thought about my biological dad. And mm -hmm. I thought, man, there had to have been a time when he was seven years old and he had all these dreams of who mm -hmm. he wanted to be, where he wanted to go. But life came so hard at him that without him even realizing it, he gave everything away, mm -hmm. including us. Yep. And he has paid for that for 20 years because every Christmas morning, we weren't there. Mm -hmm. Every Father's Day, we weren't there. Every birthday, we weren't there. Yep. So our absence has been felt. Yep. And I felt I, I, I love the man and I feel for him because we get this life once. Mm. This life we get once. And on average, it's 77.6 years. Yep. So I'm thinking, I want this man to, to be happy at least once in his life. Mm. And so I, I wrote him a one-line dedication that says, to my dad, I hope one day we will be able to build a healthy relationship before it's too late. Yep. And that's all I said. I, I read the whole uh, dedication page online, and I didn't realize that his girlfriend was following me online. Oh. So she showed him the video. And I get a call at the, you know, my, you call my office and at the time it, it would go, it would be directed to my cell phone. And so I, I answer the phone and he goes, Hey, you little rat. And that's how he would have referred to me as a kid, but it was a, it was a loving term. It wasn't anything mm. bad. Hey, hey, you little rat. And I was like, dad, he's like, yeah, it's me. I said, um, what do you want? Because I was, I was thrown back. I wasn't mm. expecting my dad, my biological dad to call me. He goes, so I heard you wrote a book. I said, I did. He goes, I heard you put me in it. I said, I did. I said, but I changed your name. Like, so you can't sue me. Cause I don't know. I don't know. Like, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I, it was an easy fix. I, I put it from English to Spanish from Roy to Rogelio. So yeah. if you read the book, he's, his name is Rogelio in the book, but his yeah. name is Roy. Yeah. And um, he goes, that's not why I'm calling. I said, well, why are you calling? He said, if you're being serious, he said, I'm ready. He said, oh. I will take all the blame. He goes, I am so sorry. And that's when I knew that he was different because wow. I've tried to talk to him in the past. And every time I try to talk to him, he would be angry and he would say, it's not my fault you were homeless. You were living with your mom. It's her fault. Always mm. pushing the blame off somewhere else. But yep. when he said, I'm ready, I'll take the blame. I was like, well, if you're being serious, dad, why don't you come to my book signing? It's going to be next week in San Antonio. And he shows up. Wow. So for the first time in over 20-something years, and as you see in the documentary at the very end, yep. I have all of them yep. standing with me. And I said, you know what? Some people will fight for a bigger house, for a nicer car, for a fatter paycheck. That's fine. Fight yep. for what you want. But this was my fight. Mm. This is what I was fighting for. You know, We're not there yet because we're human and we yep. have a lot to discuss and go over. But this is a really good start. It's a great start. Oh, it's, it's very really touching. Very touching at the end of that documentary when you're all on stage together. Yeah. And it's um, and I could feel it actually watching it. Just feel the the tension, but the love. Do you know? It's yeah. sort of a, a strange feeling. But how wonderful! How wonderful that you've even reached that point, though. I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful yeah. for that. Mm, very. Oh, okay. Right. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go and have a really stiff coffee after this. I might put something else in it. But anyway, so I'll join you on that <laughs> one. <laughs> oh god. So this um of course this podcast is about get off the bench. And so what what advice would you give to somebody who's um you know wanting I don't know maybe who's given up on their dreams and or feels the situation that they're in is just hopeless you know that they can't see a better future and what sort of advice would you give them i would say there's never going to be a perfect time there's never going to be the right time you mm-hmm. just have to get off the bench and start it yeah even if you don't have all the answers you have to just get up and start yeah. i didn't i didn't plan on being a speaker i didn't plan on all i knew was that i wanted to try to help people and i just stepped forward i never anticipated a tour a book a documentary, any of that. Yeah. Chase yep. your passion. You get this life once. Even if you never achieve it, you lived your life to the fullest. I always mm. say, if I don't meet all my goals, it wasn't because I didn't try. It was because I ran out of time. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Wow. I like, wow. I like that. I like that. Thank you. Now, where can we find you? Where can people look you up? The, and... the easiest way to look me up is uh, by the tour I did. You can go to homelessbychoice.com, yep. homelessbychoice.com, and you'll find all the information on me there. Or if you want to search my name on any social media, it's Roy Wattis Jr. Roy Wattis Jr. And, and that's on all my social platforms. Yep. And you can find those on my website as well at homelessbychoice.com. And that is, um, uh, you're saying it in a Spanish, you know, <laughs> I, I yeah. had to ask you before. Now, how do you say that? I want to get it right. But Roy Juarez, and it's um, Roy, R-O-Y, and Juarez is J-U-A-R-E-Z, uh, yes. Junior. J- yeah. Yes, and Junior, J-R. So Roy, R-O-Y, J-U-A-R-E-Z, Junior, J-R. Yep. Oh, my God. All right, well, well. Uh, that's that's been one hell of an interview and i'm just so i'm so thankful that you joined us and so thankful that you're um so willing to share your story so vulnerably and so so sincerely from your heart you know that people can really really feel your pain feel your passion feel you know your energy moving forward and and feel the um the, the commitment that you have you know to making a better world it's just amazing and i'm just so grateful that you've joined us today thank you so much for having me it's been an honor oh well it's my honor more than yours i can tell you but thank you thank you so much and uh, we'll catch up with you very soon thank you thank you holy dooly guys oh i'm blown away like i knew this was going to be a tough interview but but honestly i i wasn't expecting to cry so much but it that story it just you can't help it it just goes straight into your heart and just rips it open and but there's so many amazing messages in that you know it's about the I guess you know what he says about his book you know about forgiveness and hope and it's uh you know and he says we are all human and I don't even know what to say other than other than wow what an incredible man what an incredible journey what an incredible story and I really love what he says at the end you know there's enough time and you might as well do your thing now Uh, you might as well give it a crack and 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 you know if you get to the end of your life it was because you ran out of time not because you didn't try and it's um life's too short so 
Oh, as I said, I'm going to have a go and have a stiff drink. That's it. But anyway, um, guys, I hope you get your thing done and I'll catch you next week. And thank you so much, so much for sticking around. Okay, see ya. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.